Welcome to The Practice Podcast, a show created by lawyers to help lawyers in life and business without all the complicated lawyer language. Let's welcome Bast Amron founders and your hosts, Jeff Bast and Brett Amron. Jeff. Hi, Brett. How are you? I'm well. How are you feeling? You still have the vacation beard. I like it. (laughs) Vacation beard from last summer. Brett is back from, uh, recently back from Nepal. We should record another episode about that. Yes, but let's not keep our our guest waiting. Oh, we have a guest. I forgot. All right. Okay. Our guest today is John Kormanik. John is a certified professional coach credentialed by the International Coaching Federation, whose, and John's focus is on coaching lawyers. He also holds certifications as an ELIMP, which I don't know exactly what that is. Maybe we'll get to that. Core E Leadership and performance dynamics, and he's also a DISC practitioner. But before launching his attorney coaching practice, John worked as a lawyer. He was in the public sector as a deputy attorney general, in the private sector at a medium-sized law firm as both an associate and a partner, and he also owned his own law firm for 16 years. His 20-plus years of experience as a practicing lawyer and law firm owner have equipped him to be able to guide his lawyer clients on a truly transformational journey. And he now lives in Boise, Idaho, where he's joining us from. And he loves riding his mountain bike, being in nature, spending time with his family and friends, and starting each day with a walk with Olive, his yellow lab retriever. So welcome, John. It's awesome to be here, you guys. Thank you so much for having me. And my walk with Olive today was fantastic. How did you uh, come up with that name? I went and picked her up from where we got her and I just kind of looked at her and I said, yeah, you look like an olive and brought her home and our daughter liked that name and my wife was okay with it. So that kind of stuck. Very cool. John, so you are a certified professional coach, but you started off as a lawyer. Were you practicing in in Boise? I practiced in Boise for 24 years before I transitioned into full-time into my coaching practice. Yeah. I want to hear about the transition. Was it a gradual transition or was it suddenly one day I want to be a coach and I'm resigning? Yeah. No, the transition was gradual for a couple of reasons. Number one, I'm a lawyer. (laughs) I wasn't just going to do it right. I was going to do it the right way as far as my research and my understanding is concerned. So I was working with my coach back, shoot, I guess it's seven years ago now, and figuring out what I wanted my life to look like in 20 years. A lot of the work that I do with my clients now, right? Creating a vision. Right. And the two most important things in that vision were geographic independence and impact. And, you know, I was impacting my clients and my family and my community to a great extent, but I believe we're all placed on the planet to do greater things. And so the impact that I wanted to have was wider. So that was my goal about impact. And then being geographically independent, you know, I owned a law firm. I ran a very active and successful criminal defense practice. And anyone out there who's a litigator knows that litigation and geographic independence do not go together. Hmm. And so I came to a point where the question for me was, do I keep on doing something that I love doing? I love being a lawyer, love being a litigator, love being a criminal defense attorney. Not one of those guys who left because I was burnt out. That is actually not it at all. Do I keep doing that? Or do I pivot into a different thing, 
a different avenue of service where I could continue satisfying my number one core value of serving others and then achieve geographic independence and greater impact. And I landed on coaching in general. And then just the question of who I was going to coach was kind of a foregone conclusion once I decided on that avenue to go down. Right. What caused you to start working with a coach in the first place? And when did you start and why did you start working with a coach as a lawyer? Because I don't think a lot of lawyers out there are working with coaches. I think you're probably right in some respects. Why did I start working with Mike? Mike was my coach. Mike is a guy I went to law school with. We graduated from California Western together back in the late 90s. And he never went into the active practice of law. He went into personal development in that space and he began his coaching journey back then. And probably 10 years ago now, I will tell you that in three months, I'm going to turn 60. So 10 years ago is about right. 10 years ago, in three months, I was going to turn 50. I graduated from law school when I was 38. It was a second career for me. So I had been practicing for about 12 years. Really liked it. Again, I loved it. But I think that birthday was coming up and I was beginning to focus on self-improvement, right? I had the law part down, but I wanted to focus on not only business improvement, becoming a better leader, a better CEO, but personal improvement as well. And that's why I teamed up with a coach because I knew that by myself, it would not be possible for me to achieve my full potential by myself because of how humans get in their own way. Listening, right? If I'm a lawyer and I'm at a big firm or, you know, I'm moving my way up, I've gone to law school. I feel like I'm learning the practice. Tell people out there why they need a coach, why a coach is a good idea. I mean, Jeff and I have used coaches. We obviously agree with it. think what you do is great. To the average lawyer that's out there, why might they need a coach? I don't think that I could say it any better than Bill Gates. Bill Gates says everyone needs a coach, including him. And so if that guy needs a coach, (laughs) then chances are you could benefit from coaching too. That's number one. Number two, if you look around the world of professional athletics, every single one of those people have at least one coach, oftentimes more than one, whether it's in their business, which a basketball player, baseball player, right? Their business teaching them the fundamentals or demonstrating to them a better way of doing things or opening a door to view a different way of doing things. And they also have coaches in their non-professional lives, right? Financial coaches, relationship coaches, those types of people. And so again, if a professional athlete, if your third baseman, whatever baseball team you follow, I follow the Padres. So Manny Machado is my guy. If Manny Machado could benefit from coaching and he recognizes the value in it, then who am I to say that he's got it wrong? The third thing that I would say is, I was listening to an interview recently with Rick Rubin, the music producer. And what he said really demonstrates the basis for coaching. And he said, you know, just because you're doing something and it's working for you, doesn't mean it's the best way to do it. It simply means that you've landed on a way that works for you. And if you're comfortable with that, that's fine. But if you're not, and you want to see if you can do it better, if you could be more efficient, if you could be more effective, if you could have a greater impact 
all those things, then it makes sense to have somebody standing next to you who doesn't have a dog in the fight, who can really call you on your head trash and your ego involvement and can open up doors that you wouldn't open for yourself. Those are the reasons that I think lawyers should think about coaching. I mean, I think it makes all the sense in the world. If you think about it, your whole life up to that point until you enter the working world, you kind of have coaches. I mean, most teachers, good teachers serve the role of a coach. They do more than just teach you a certain skill or component of knowledge. They guide you, they coach you, they get the best out of you. And then you start out in the working world and you have a boss. You know, I think a good leader will coach in some respect, but it's a little different when there's a employee boss relationship. So I think it makes all the sense in the world. When do you recommend it to somebody typically? Yeah. When you've got the law part down. (laughs) Because if you're worried about the law part, you're worried about doing stuff where you're going to have to call your carrier, then you can't really focus on the things that I focus on my clients with. You're worried about the basics of the law, right? But that's a, for a lot of folks, that on-ramp is, I would say, relatively short in the scheme of things. But once you have that done, then it's a matter of, you know, look, we went to law school. I know my law school, I mean, Cal Western was a great law school. It really was. Prepared me very well. It did not prepare me to be a business person. It just didn't do that. And so I think once you have the law part down, the next step is engaging with me or someone like me to help you on your journey forward. Is it fair to say that most of your clients are partner level attorneys? There are partner level attorneys. I coach solo practitioners, small law firm owners, and managing partners and partners at mid to large size law firms because that is where the biggest impact can be had from my perspective. If I can impact either a managing partner or a practice group leader and have them be able to open doors for themselves and really reach their full potential as human beings, then that's naturally going to impact the people who they work with and around. And so that's where my focus is. What you said, it hit the nail on the head. Obviously, you're in that area, but you know, you grind for a period of time as a lawyer on the practice, right? And you're trying to hone your craft. It's never perfection, right? We never become masters, right? That's why they call it the practice of law. But we have to get to a point where we are comfortable within the practice so that we've honed our craft to a point. And then it's, all right, are we either running a business, managing a team at a larger firm, Are we dealing with a family and balance and life and things like that? So there is that natural sort of tendency at a certain age or a certain level of experience that you then are looking for more where a coach can be super helpful. 100%, right? I like to talk a lot about what's the pebble in your shoe. If the pebble in your shoe is, I have to figure out how to best write a contract or a will or whatever it is, right? Whatever it is in the law, if that's the pebble in your shoe, then you can't focus on anything else. You have to take care of that. That is your primary focus and appropriately so. But once you get that pebble out of your shoe, there's always going to be another one. We're human beings. We are meant 
to strive. Lawyers especially, right? Lawyers especially. We do hard things. I mean, we went to law school. We took bar exams. In some people's cases, mine included, took two back-to-back. Don't recommend, but I did it. And so we're used to doing hard things, but recognizing that I want a better work-life blend, right? I want to be able to coach my daughter's YMCA basketball team. That's important to me. That's a priority for me. How do I figure that out with a busy litigation practice? How do I do that? What are the steps that I can take? Those types of things. So get the pebble out of your shoe for the practice of law, the law itself, Mm -hmm. and then whatever's next, a coach can certainly help with. We are taught as lawyers, to pick up on that, we are taught as lawyers, our job is to take the emotion out of it, right? The clients come to us with all that emotion and we're taught, oh, you have to make these decisions and we practice without emotion because that's our job. But yet when we have to look at our own personal lives or running a business, we then have to sort of turn that emotion factor on. And that's not so easy to do all the time. Yeah. You know, we, we talk about it in life. We say, well, you know, you just have to wear a lot of hats or like you said, Brett, you have to remove emotion from one aspect and really lean on it in another. It's not a light switch. It's really hard to do. I'll work with people for quite a while on figuring out how to be the best CEO or leader that they can be. And the lawyerness, the lawyer brain of them, oftentimes is the biggest stumbling block because it is that, well, I have to be clinical. I have to be not involved. And on the other hand, we're human beings and we live off of connection. Connection is critical to being a human being and being the best human that you could be. So there's a huge tension there. And I help people guide people along the path to recognizing how to reconcile those tensions and how to be the person that they were put on the planet to be. Do you think it's it's different for lawyers versus non-lawyers? Obviously, lawyers are somewhat unique, but does a coaching approach differ for when the client's a lawyer versus a non-lawyer? It can be. I don't want to paint with a broad brush, right? There are other folks in the world who are super similar to lawyers, right? Physicians, for example. CPAs are another example. People say, you know, we're quite similar to lawyers when I speak with them about the stuff that gets in our way. I think the biggest thing with lawyers is we are trained to know the answers. That's what we're trained to do. We're trained to know them or to find it on our own. And if we can't do that, then we feel like we're failing, right? Asking for help for many lawyers, is a sign of weakness. Mm. That's just not so. You can ask for help from the right people and put them on your team and be better for it. You're better, your clients are better served, all of the things. I love that. I think you're spot on there that a lot of people are afraid to ask for help. And I think the more seasoned they become, Maybe afraid's not the right word, but the less likely they are to ask for help because, oh, I'm at this level. I should know how to do X, Y, or Z, whatever the skill is or whatever the task is. And so the need becomes greater. The importance of the issue probably improves with time, becomes more important with time. And yet the resistance to asking for help rises. And so having that outlet 
And a source, a trusted source to guide us sounds really valuable. You don't want to necessarily go to someone in your firm with some things. When people come to me, number one, I am a lawyer, so I know what confidentiality is all about. I do not talk with anybody about anything that I speak with my clients about. No one. And so you can have somebody who doesn't have a dog in the fight standing next to you, helping you step out of stress and see the entire playing field, all of your options from the obvious to the, gosh, I never would have thought of that. Mm -hmm. And then being at a place where you can be a choice. I'm going to choose this because Viktor Frankl says that's the most human thing is being at choice. You have the ability to do that. That's what a coach in general, and my coaching in particular, helps people with. You can be at choice in whatever it is that you're doing. I like that. So what could somebody expect? So there's a lot of lawyers out there listening to this. Maybe they're thinking, hmm, I could use a coach. What can a lawyer expect from, let's say, the first session with you? Sure. Well, the first session with me is always going to be some sort of debrief. You know, you mentioned those, the ELIMP, Energy Leadership Index Master Practitioner. It's, it's a certification for an assessment. It's an attitudinal assessment. So it's how we view the world. So it's either going to be that debrief or a debrief of the DISC assessment, which is a personality slash communication assessment. Knowledge is power if you act on it. So the first session with me after I'm brought on board and we become a team is, okay, let's look at how you look at the world through the ELI and how you communicate in the DISC. Because once we do that, we can begin to have language that we both agree on. We have a baseline, a foundation, and all of that stuff comes into play for every single thing that we do. Use the term earlier, people are looking to blend their lives yes. together, right? I like the word harmony, trying to harmonize <laughs> it rather than this work-life balance thing because no such thing as balance, right? I mean, there's, because at one point your personal life may require more attention than perhaps your clients might. Your business may require more attention at various points in time. So to me, it is a blend or a harmony and I would imagine that is a large portion of what you spend your time on with your clients. 100%. And I couldn't agree more, right? I guess they had to settle on some sort of label, work-life balance, I guess. <laughs> right. It's flat-out nonsense. When I say that to people, they're shocked. <laughs> and then they say, well, what do you think, John? So here's the deal. Think about balance from when we were kids and there was, uh, you call it a seesaw, a teeter-totter, whatever you call it as a kid. It is so hard to keep that level, to keep that balance. It has to be exact. So number one, balance is just too damn much work. It just is. Number two, it is not possible. You said it, Brett. Balance is impossible in the short term. It's a fantasy. And the more that we are tied to that fantasy, the more pain we suffer. That's why I think of it as work-life blend. Look, you guys are in Florida, right? We are. Yeah. Picture a hot August day in Florida. Are you sitting outside eating a steaming bowl of chili? Of course you're not doing that. 
you're going to have a nice cool soup, right? That is the concept of blend. So if you are, for example, a litigator and you've got a trial coming up, people talk about all the time, I'm in trial mode. Well, I know what that means because I've lived that. So if you're in trial mode as a litigator or you're an M&A attorney and you know the deal is being done and you've got that 72-hour crunch at the end where it is all-consuming, you cannot possibly have balance in that time. It's a myth. The important part is, one, to recognize it, and two, when you come out the other side to realize that, okay, that's done. Now I can focus on relationship or something else in the work, whatever it is to even it out, to change the flavor of the soup that you're eating after you've had that really intense time. Yeah. And I would imagine that again, part of your work would be if you know, right, as a litigator or an M&A lawyer, you're about to go into this craziness that is either trial mode or deal mode, how to handle the other aspects of your life before you get into that so that when you do come out, you know, you can jump back in and address whatever needs to be addressed there. I did everything from DUI to death penalty work in Idaho. And so when I was in a murder trial, the month or so before the murder trial, I would sit down with my wife and daughter and I would say, I've got a trial coming up. I need you both on my team to help me through this. And here's how you can help. And again, this goes back to being able to ask for help. I'll walk Olive in the morning, but I'm not going to be home in the evening to walk her. That type of thing. And enlist your team. Same thing at work, right? Enlist them. Let them know what's going on so that when you come out the other side, you are there for them. You know, when this is over, we're going to take a long weekend or whatever it is, right? When this is over, I'm going to take the staff to lunch because they've all worked really hard. I'm going to give them a bonus, whatever it is. You let them know that. And it's a game changer for folks. It really is. Don't ever assume, oh, they know I'm in trial mode. Set them up, enlist them to be your support in any way, shape, or form that you think is appropriate. And then the other side, they're going to be there waiting for you. Because you did that when you were in private practice. Did you have a coach at that time? Or is this something that you developed on your own? I didn't have a coach around the time that I developed that mindset. It was along the path. It was pretty close in time to me hiring my first coach. I saw the impact. I paid attention. And I saw the impact of trial on those around me. And that impact was generated almost exclusively by me, by how I showed up. And so when I took the time to kind of step back and look around and think about, is this how I want to be remembered? Do I want to be remembered as that guy? Really? And the answer to that, of course, was no. And so I came about understanding that, look, these people love me, right? My wife loves me. We'll be married for 33 years this September. My daughter loves me. Sure, we had some rough patches, both my wife and my daughter and I, but she's going to be 30. We have a great relationship. And it was getting to the point where it's like, they love me. They want to support me. Let me give them the tools to do that. What you said about, you know, how you show up, that really resonated with me. Because if you're a law firm leader or just you work with teams and you want people to bring their A game, you got to bring your A game. You know, it starts at the Mm -hmm. top. You got to show up the way you want others to show up, working with a coach is just going to be the best way to do that. 
gets lawyers past the five lies. And I, it's probably a lot of folks believe in these five lies, but it helps lawyers get past the five lies, right? Lie number one is you have to grind all the time to be successful. You got to grind sometimes, but if you're grinding all the time, there's something going on. There's something missing. If you're not busy, you're lazy, right? We talked about being in trial mode or deal mode. We get to the other side and there's space on our calendar. A lot of lawyers are super uncomfortable with that. Oh my gosh, I have to fill up that time with legal work. No, you're changing the flavor of the soup for a little while. You're going to change the blend and focus potentially on relationship or focus on yourself, your health, your well-being. Number three is money will make you happy. Number three, money will make you happy, right? We're always in search of more money. There's a song, more money, more problems. And that's true to a certain extent. But money is not going to make you happy. The experiences that money can provide you may bring you joy, but money itself is not going to make you happy. Asking for help is a weakness, right? That's another lie that people tell themselves. And I help lawyers kind of get past and through all of those things so that they can have the life that they thought they'd have when they went to law school, right? Before we crossed the threshold of law school, we all had this vision of what our lives would be like. And then we go to law school and then we go out into the world and we lose that thread. I try to connect people back with that thread. They teach us in law school only the tiniest, tiniest sliver of what it means to be a lawyer. Being a lawyer is so much more. John, this has been fantastic. I really think our listeners are going to love it. If you did listen to this show and you enjoyed it, please subscribe and leave a review. Give us a five-star review. Subscribing to the show and leaving reviews will help others find the show and it will help us grow and help us devote more time and produce better content for you. And we'll all live happily ever after. Happily ever after. John. Thank you, John. Thanks so much. Thanks for being here. Nelson, thank you. Thanks, guys. Brett, thank you. No. Thank you. Well, thank you. And Nelson, thank you. For more information on this show and other resources, visit FastAmron.com and connect with us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram at FastAmron.com.